Dear friends, welcome back to this latest episode of the podcast series, The Way Out Is In. I am Joe Confino, working at the intersection of personal transformation and systems evolution. And I am Brother Fab Hu, a Zen Buddhist monk, student of Zen Master Thich Han in the Plum Village community. And today we are going to be talking about war and peace. So with the fighting raging between Russia and Ukraine, it's bringing up for, I think, everybody a deep sense of pain, suffering, recognition of how can this be happening in this present day and how do we cope with all the feelings that are coming up so this is what we're going to explore today how to find peace in ourselves and encourage peace in the world the way out is in Welcome, everyone. I am Joe Confino. And I am Brother Fab Hu. So, Brother, a very difficult topic today. Um, war. Mm. And, um, and if anyone can guide us in this, it will be Zen Master Thich Nhat Hanh, who lived through a war and found a way to find peace and yet also be an activist for transformation. So... Um, Brother, can I just start off by saying how I'm feeling? Sure. Um, so I'm feeling a bit lost. And, uh, and what I'm realizing is, is the practice of mindfulness, uh, the teachings of uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. It's very easy to connect to those when I'm feeling reasonably well. Even if I'm going through a bit of suffering, I can come back to myself. Um, I can um, observe what's going on. I can relate to it. And... and sometimes transform it. But um, I'm being stirred up a lot around uh, this conflict because um, I think when things are, are very, very difficult and very, very painful, it's hard to connect the practice in a way that that alleviates what's going on. Because what I'm feeling, I'm uh, a lot of the practice is about not being consumed by the news, but I'm being consumed by the news. A lot of the practice is about um, not taking sides, but I find myself taking sides. The practice is about um, being equanimous, so so being able to see what's going on and, and stay calm. And I realize I'm not staying calm. So I need a bit of help, brother. Mm. And uh, so uh, I would really like to sort of explore this with you about today, about how do we how do we work with things when we're feeling very much on the edge? And I will share about how I feel um, before going into what I have been practicing. I think for myself, um, it brings up a lot of um, trauma in my own heritage, my own roots. Uh, being born in Vietnam and having a Vietnamese heritage, seeing the image of the war, seeing the image of refugees, I feel 
very connected to my own ancestors. My my father was a refugee and my mother and the family, we migrated also to Canada in the early um, 90s. And my father was a boat person in the late 80s after the war in Vietnam. But it just, it brings up the suffering and the destruction that war brings. When there's war, we have to face the beast of war. And that is violence, that is hatred, discrimination, greed, and death. Um, And so for myself, when the news broke out that uh, the war has manifested, it also was very disturbing and it stirred up a lot of emotions in me. Um, And the first practice I had to dwell on is just recognizing all of the thoughts that are manifesting, that is number one, being one with it um, and categorizing what what is manifesting in my perceptions. Um, To do that, the bridge is your awareness, your mindfulness, and that for me is the breath. And uh, coming back to just being with the breath, easing myself in order to see my mind more clearly. And in these moments, in the spiritual dimension of practice, we speak a lot about refuge in practices. And and for me, I wanted to take refuge in an energy. And for me, that was Thai's wisdom. And I concretely, I went to the altar. I went to the altar that we set up. So I was in Vietnam when when the news um, broke out that the war manifested. So I right away, I went to the deep listening hut at the Hue Pagoda. And I stood there in front of the altar. I joined my palms. And this practice of joining your palm is the unification of body and mind. And I wanted to have a dialogue because there are so much things that are manifesting inside of you. So in... Buddhist um, Zen tradition from the East, we have a tradition of practicing of connecting to your spiritual ancestors as well as your blood ancestor. So for me, at that very moment, Thai became my refuge that I wanted to speak to. And I invited Thai inside of me to be present and I shared to Thai that the war has manifested and I also share to Tai what is coming up for me. And very interestingly, there was a voice inside of me that is the voice of Tai, which is his teaching because he has transmitted that to, to me. And one of the words that came out very clearly is, do not give in to darkness. Wherever there is darkness, light is also there. And this is the deep teaching in Buddhism of non-duality. It's very easy to get caught in the right and the left, um, the above and the below, the good and the bad, the dark and the light. It doesn't mean that we ignore it, but we know that if there is the right, there is also the left. If there is war, there is peace somewhere. And in that very moment, even though I am not in Ukraine, 
I am not part of the fight. I'm not part of the war. But there is a war that is starting to happen inside of us. And as an individual, our practice is to take care of that war inside. And I had to channel my own understanding, my own non-discriminative mind. And the other line that comes up is, man is not our enemy. It is ignorance. It is fear. It is destruction. And if you, if you have that cultivation of mind, you keep this inner peace. It's not complete, but it is there. Um, the practice is not to find the ultimatum of I am fully free from war. I am fully free from violence, from hatred. But it's that you have to come back to your human nature. And in human nature, there are wonderful qualities and those qualities of compassion. It's very easy to touch compassion right now for me, seeing the suffering of the civilians. I can touch compassion. And I have to nourish that compassion and I have to let that compassion be the main energy in this particular time. Hatred is also there. I, I am like you, Joe. I also identified that um, I can say the Russians are the enemy and a lot of the media is presenting it like that. But learning from my teacher and learning from my own um, ancestor heritage, sometimes even the soldiers are victim of the war. And if we can channel that compassion, even to the both side of the fighting, you are being embraced by this energy of compassion in you. And that protects you from becoming more bitter, becoming more dark, becoming more aggressive. And I think this is the key is the practice in this moment is how are you handling your tender heart? How are you handling the emotion, the rage, the hatred that is coming up? And it's okay for it to manifest. We're very human. We, we have this energy. That's what makes us have feelings. But we don't become a victim to it. And I think this is what allowed Tai and his community during the Vietnam War to maintain this sense of nonviolence. And Tai, I've heard Tai say this, nonviolence is not a tool. Nonviolence is a way. So when you go and you take care of um, the ones that are hurt, of course, it's easy to, um, to, to nourish your compassion and nourish your um, equanimity. But to go even the distance further is how do you see the ones that are causing harm? Can you see their human side? That they also have a mother, a father, ones that loves them. And if they die, I'm sure those who love them will also suffer. And when you have that compassion inside of you, that nonviolence, your action, your decisions will be embraced by that energy. You may have to put somebody in jail. 
You may have to stop. You may have to even fight. But your way of doing it doesn't come to destroy and hate, but is to it is to establish peace. It is to establish a relief of suffering. And I've heard Thai say um, in Thai's teaching to the Palestinian and the Israeli practitioners who come, sometimes when you are faced with an enemy in front of you, but you have love and you have compassion, your behaviors will change, and you may find a better way than violence, than pulling that trigger. And maybe to pull that trigger, it's the only way in that moment. But if we also allow ourselves to have a deeper understanding, there can be other ways, and that's why we believe. In dialogue, we believe in deep listening and compassionate speech for reconciliation, for a way forward. Instead of using the army, and the army, the guns, the bombs, it doesn't bring peace. I think this is a perception that people think uh, to resolve something, you have to use all of these um, human creation, but. The reality of it, it it just brings more and more violence and despair. I wish that uh, we. This is more wishful thinking um, than the reality, but we know that the history of war it never brings peace. It, it's even funny to say I fight for peace, <laughs> and that's why Tai says you have to be the peace. Um, you have to have the peace inside of you. In order for the peace outside to manifest, so concretely back to me, you know, in that conversation that I had with Tai at the altar, was also a way of channeling all of the emotions and feelings that are manifesting, and to really be present for it, and you will find a way because you have that capacity of inner peace, and. After I was able to express that, and I was able to know that there are concrete practice I need to do right now to heal myself and as well as to care for myself. One, it is to be very mindful of how much information I am consuming. It doesn't mean block it off. Don't don't look. Don't hear. Don't see. You have to because that is you. The world, the war is also you. Um, but moderation, the middle way. You have to know what is enough to chew on, and then the other practice is grounding. I think grounding is very important in this in this time. You can be a refuge for the ones who are suffering. the The people who are suffering they are also seeking stability. So, if we as humans, if we as practitioners, we have that stability. That is also an offering to the chaos that is happening right now, and this is on the practice element. And then I practice touching the earth. You know, I make I make vows each day to generate some kind of inner peace within the day. It may seem small, but I don't think we should underestimate it because we can be a refuge and a 
a light for those who are lost in in darkness. Brother, that was beautiful. I think we could probably just wrap up there. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that was that was a like already felt like a balm to my wounds. Um, one of the things, brother, you talked about was um, around trauma. Mm. Started off talking about trauma, so um, I recognise that also in my family. My mother was a was a refugee from Nazi Germany. My father was a refugee from Bulgaria. And um, and so one of the things I, I think is very important, as you say, is to recognize, because we now know that traumas get passed down through generations, um, that th- this for you and I, in that sense, is a very direct recollection of trauma. But but I think what war does is it brings, it's a trauma for all of us, because it brings out so many different issues, because one of the big issues is around the persecutor and the persecuted. And I think we all take that on board in our lives. You know, either I feel I've been persecuted or I'm the persecutor. So actually, there's so many, there's about the, um, there's issue around uh, weakness and strength. What is it to be strong? What is what is true strength? So, so actually, what an event like this does is it brings up all those issues. And, and, and it, in a sense, it sticks it right in your face. You can't hide from it. So in that sense, well, of course, we would never wish for any harm to be done in the world. If something is happening, whatever it is, whether it's in our personal lives or, or uh, the life of our community or the world, it is an opportunity to look deeply about what, as you say, what are the, what, what are the seeds that are being watered in our store consciousness and, and then how to work with them. So if... Uh, a feeling of being victimized is coming up it's saying you know it's being able to touch deeply into that feeling an old feeling and to sort of calm it and to recognize it and to realize that actually that great truth that whatever's happening outside as you say is also at some level happening inside um one of the most difficult things brother though which i would really like your feelings around is i remember when donald trump came into power and um the perceived wisdom was saying well yes he's he's all these things but it's really important to see donald trump in oneself you know that that aspect of why someone would become a, a bully why someone would um be so narcissistic and um and so in a sense the same thing is with someone like putin which is it's very easy to demonize him um and what he's doing clearly is is so wrong and shameful in so many ways but how do we see how how is it possible to see someone doing um such immense damage causing such immense suffering and to feel compassion for them how, how do we go about that i mean you've mm. talked a little bit about that mm. but i you know what how we is it important to actually say actually what is it in me that i see in putin rather than making him just totally outside of ourselves yeah i 
I think the compassion that we have for people such as him is to not give them power <laughs> so that they don't offer more suffering to the world. Um, and this comes in the part of activism for, uh, for the war and activism for peace. And what um, I learned in history is that voices of humans have power. And this is where we also have to channel all together the voice of peace, what we actually want. Um, and I think that we are seeing this around since the start of the war of um, um, in Ukraine. We, we have seen so many protests, so many peace gatherings, so many um, voices that are saying that we don't want this. And actually what is even more powerful is the protests that are manifesting in Russia itself. So the compassion that um, we can have for someone such as um, Putin is to just know that um, he is being covered by greed, power, and maybe fear, whatever it may be. We don't know. And when you look at someone who is doing such destruction, what you can channel is like, wow, you have no friends that are helping you see life, the miracle of life and what you are doing is offering destruction. And there's this, there is this, um, this sutra on the five ways of putting an end to anger. And the first example is if you see someone, you're with someone who is offering you um, harsh words, but their actions are still very kind. Their, their heart is still very kind, but it's just that unskillfulness of their language. Don't pay attention to that. Give attention to their beautiful side and help them recognize their unmindfulness of speech. Then comes the second example. If somebody is um, unkind with their, their action, but their words are still kind, their hearts are still kind, their direction of life is leading to um, community building, healing, etc. You pay attention to that. And then one, if, if both of that is not kind, but in their hearts, there is still some kindness. Your practice is to see the goodness in their hearts. And this helps you not become a victim of your hatred and not become a victim of your discrimination. It's very easy to push people away. But as a practitioner, we try to, to help that person. And then the last one is even if they are unkind in their words, unkind in their action, and even in their hearts, we can't find kindness. What we see is that they are someone who suffers deeply, who has no help, has no support, and they are someone who is very dry and someone who is just full of hatred, anger. And if you see someone with all of that energy, you can see maybe their life is actually very miserable. And it asks you to channel this deep, maybe it can be pity, but it can be this kind of compassion and you can just pray that, Please, somebody that is close to you can show you the light.
And that example is like if you meet somebody um, who is fainted on the path, you would, if you have enough courage, you would bring him or her to the closest village for him or her to be healed. So in this in this light, you know, seeing someone such as Putin, um, I think a lot of us don't know. I don't know him so well. I don't know what is behind his mind. What is his uh, his personal side? And for me, it's just seeing that he is somebody who is getting um, misdirected in the course of 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 power. And uh, I'm sure he is not living a peaceful life. I hear that uh, um, every, every time he eats, his food has to be tested. Uh, I'm sure that he's living in fear of being assassinated or of something um, to be withdraw his powers. So I can probably sense that he is living with a lot of that, that stress and that um, perceptions being directed towards him. Just like that, I have a drop of nectar of compassion and it allows me to see him as a human. But on the side of power, he is abusing his power. We have to recognize that. We have to speak the words that needs to be said. We have to act the action that needs to be done to help bring a stop to this war. And this is what Tai did, you know, our teacher. And he paid a very high price for it. You know, he was exiled. Um, his own community were victims of assassination uh, during the Vietnam War. And I was just with Sister Chang Kong in Vietnam and we had a chance to, to talk. And she shared with me that uh, when there were three social workers was um, taken to the riverbank and they asked him, are you part of this um, community, this SS um, School of Youth and Social Service? And they said, yes. And the army men said, well, I'm sorry. I have to kill you. But they had to, because of their actions, it were steps to bringing the cessation of this war. It gave um, the voice of the, the people. It gave the voices that as the civilians who are not part of the fight, what we want is not to kill each other. What we want is peace. We want to be able to build a community, a nation that is based on love and understanding. And our teacher had to leave Vietnam to bring this awareness to the West, uh, concretely America, um, to call for the cessation of the war to really say, actually, what is happening in Vietnam is this, this, and this. And this is back in the 60s, right? So the war today is very different where we are seeing the missiles being um, shot into the cities and we see the explosion. We, we are living in a more advanced world, but it means that we get to see everything directly, instantly, through social media, through information that is being shared online. And in a way, 
what I am sensing now is that there is much more unity of wanting peace than in 1960s uh, and before, because the media has a more impact on the information being shared. But what we are also learning is, for example, in Russia is now all of the social media and it's being cut off. And so that is also a motion of fear. That is a motion of uncertainty. So you can even see the fear in the perpetrators. So this is where you say you connect to the human side of it, but it doesn't mean we allow it to happen. We're like, ah, because you have fear, we have to tell you to not be afraid. And this is where the dialogue has to happen. This is where the United Nations should come in and to hold a peace dialogue. It may take weeks, it may take months, allow that to happen rather than weeks and months of bullets and bombs. That is destruction, that is cost of the economy, that is cost of suffering. Like, can the United Nation bring these world leaders together and let them see the suffering of the children, the suffering of the people? And I think this is what Tai was doing when he left Vietnam to call for peace. He didn't, he didn't um, target, um, attack the politics, but he said, this is the suffering. Do you want this in your own consciousness? Do you want to be a part of the destruction, the death of the many people who are innocent? And as you're talking, what, what's been coming up for me is that at some level, you know, the, the shock of war is because it's on such a mass scale. And so you're seeing millions of people being displaced, thousands of people dying. And at another level, it's not different from the way we individually act, let's say, within a family. That words are bombs. Mm. That, um, that bad actions are grenades. And that actually the amount of suffering in relationships in families in communities is as destructive even though it's on a maybe a more individual level but that actually all of us are responsible for either creating a sense of suffering or pain or um, abuse that actually in in every one of our thoughts and every one of our actions we can either be sowing the seeds of hope and of love and of compassion and of deep listening, or we can be judging people and um, and belittling people, taking advantage of people. Um, so actually, you know, we we are all responsible individually for the collective consciousness that leads to wars. Exactly, and we have to not create more. Donald Trumps, more Putins. And and this is on a global awareness that should manifest. Like this should be a wake up call for everyone. And like you said, like how am I living my life that I am cultivating nonviolence, compassion, joy, peace, and love? Because if we are promoting peace and we can put, you know, 
um, a flag on our social media page, but we're living the way we are that is creating hatred, creating violence, then you're not walking peace. And I think this is where what I would hear from Tai is that be the peace you want to see. Your action has to embody the peace. Your, your way of now relating to the ones around you, can you reconcile? If you want nations to reconcile, can you reconcile with the ones that are around you? Because all of these actions are also transmission to the next generation. If there is the trauma of war, can we teach the insight of healing, of hope that you just mentioned? Can we teach the awareness of interbeing that we are all one and we are so interconnected? We can have differences in our religion. We can have differences in our culture, in the food we enjoy eating. But this planet that we share together, if we keep destroying it with bombs and guns and killing each other, what are we teaching the next generation? And a lot of the times I feel like we recognize the war and then we're just going to forget about it and we don't learn much about it. And I think uh, for us as practitioners and those who want to contribute to the peace, um, contribute to the healing of the world that will need to happen after post this war, we, we really have to come together and learn from one another about this, about this situation and educate the next generation so we don't wait into another war breakout. And brother, I mean, so much of this is about discrimination. And, and I, it, it brings to mind um, when I worked at The Guardian, mm. there, was, um, there was a lot of hierarchy. So the journalists felt they were the most important. And then people who, let's say, did the cleaning or cleaned the toilets and, and looked after the facilities were considered less than them. And, and one, of my, one of the things I always wanted to do at The Guardian was saying, well, actually, we are all equally important. So... Without the journalists, you wouldn't be able to produce a paper, but without the people clearing the toilets and cooking the food and making sure the lights were working, electricity is working, you wouldn't also have a newspaper. And so I feel there's so much in this about, about things that aren't really real. So, you know, if, if, if Putin and Zelensky were, were sort of just ordinary people and they were on holiday and they happened to sit next to each other um, in, a, in a cafe or something that actually without all the all the judgments and perceptions that they could easily just have a conversation with each other and, and be deeply respectful of each other you know who knows could even become uh, could even become friends so i'm just wondering you know how much of this is actually the fact that at the root we all want exactly the same thing we want to be respected we want to be loved we want to that we're not different. Mm. And yet all of our perceptions on top of more perceptions actually create all this separation. Whereas in the truth, in truth, there's no separation at all. Exactly. I think what you just, what you shared um, is the work of our teacher and the work of many spiritual um, refuge and teachers who wants to share about this and 
allow people to to touch the human nature again. You know, I I remember one time Tai said that Buddhism is really teaching us just to be human again, just to see each other without a label, without um, a hierarchy of you are the boss, I am the servant, you are a soldier, da da da. Because if we remove all of that, and we ask everyone to remove all of that, and we ask each other. What is it that we deeply want? And you know, Tai always tells every individual who comes on retreat to look at your volition as a human being. What is your deepest desire? That is a meditation. We have to have time to reflect and to see what is the deepest desire, and not a desire that a nation gives you or a few pow- people in power gives you. On a human nature, and I think what it is is, we just want to share a cup of tea together. We want to be able to look at each other, to see each other as brothers in the garden of humanity, brother, sister, family. But a lot of the education and a lot of the information that we get, it is not that. It 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 leads towards power, individualism, success. Um, even destroying others to be the better, the better side, the better person, the better nation, and I think this is one of the roots of all of this discrimination, this war, and and this um, separation is what we have to keep bridging from generations to generations. The thing about um, humanity, which is. Um, difficult is that we we always repeat the same mistakes <laughs> from from even from the Buddha's time. You know, the Buddha left his um, his responsibility and his inheritance to be a king because his deepest desire is that that doesn't bring me true happiness. Ruling a nation, what brings me true happiness is the cessation of suffering, is the nourishment. Of understanding is the insight of love and compassion. That all blood is red, all of our tears are salty, and the Buddha, in his country, comes from the caste system, which there's a lot of discrimination, and he wanted to break free from that. So, in a way, we may say we live in a free country, but I think there are many barriers. There are many castes. Even in our social life, the way we look at someone who may not have a particular position, our judgmental mind says he or she is not important. Or you look at somebody who is aggressive, and so our society we push them away. Those who have mental illness we push them away. So already, not even in the the system. We are installed with a lot of discrimination, and this is also an inheritance of our ancestors as well as an inheritance of our society. So, for me, what I'm doing in my life, you know, right here, right now, there is war there, but I'm sure that if if the right conditions come, war will also be here. How am I? Nourishing, cultivating 
the understanding that war does not lead to peace, that peace is the way. That is the question. And as an individual has an impact because you are part of a community. And as a community, you are part of a society. As a society, you are part of a nation. So you have to see the small ripple effect. And I think a lot of us, we feel powerless because we're so far away and we're not involved directly, but you are involved in your space, in your family, in your community, in your society, in your country. Make sure that we speak the voice that needs to be said so that war doesn't manifest here. And that all of us can have a voice to the political leaders of our country, um, the people who have influence, all of us can speak that voice. And that's what our teacher did. He went and he met so many different leaders. He met Martin Luther King because he believed Martin Luther King's voice has an impact. If Martin Luther King Jr. at that time can speak out against the war in Vietnam, that will have a ripple effect. And so each and every one of us, even though we're far away, we can have an effect somewhere. And this doesn't need us to take up arms. This is arms of love. This is arm of responsibility, of trying to protect and trying to bring understanding. And brother, as you mentioned earlier about um, the work that uh, Teknatan and your community have done with Israelis and Palestinians, is that when they, when you have brought them to Plum Village, that the first few days they don't talk at all about conflict. They don't talk at all about their position. They don't talk at all about their view. They just spend time together as human beings. And only when people feel at peace within themselves with the practice of meditation, walking, eating together in silence, only when you come from a place of true stability can you then start to listen to someone else. If you have not listened to yourself, uh, you just cannot listen to anyone else because, as you say, you'll completely judge them. And um, it's, it's quite interesting seeing these so-called... Uh, peace talks between Russia and Ukraine because they happen in a sterile room with they they're in opposition to each other so they sit opposite each other at a long table it's a very formal setting and you can tell in in that setting there's no room for humanity at all there's only room for posturing and for having your view and and you just imagine that if you took those people out of that room and place them in another setting and really gave them time. And of course, we know in the situation that that's not possible in that sense, but, but you would get a, a very different result. And so it does come to how we show up. And, and brother, it reminds me of that. Um, you and I were both uh, 
last year at a conference called Countdown, a climate conference. And um, I don't know if you were there, there was um, the head of the French delegation who was critical in the Paris Climate Agreement. And she told this little story of on the day that the agreement had had been had been produced, but it hadn't been formally agreed, that she went to all the most powerful uh, emitters, so so the the group that was most powerful, so the sort of America, Europe, Russia, etc., and needed to present them with the agreement. And she said, "I talked to them about." this is what you're going to really like about the agreement. This is what you're going to really, really dislike. And she said she went through it all and then they just looked at her stony-faced as though, and she could tell this was not going well. And uh, and then she went through again and said, look, these are the things really you're going to be very happy about. And yes, these are the things you're not going to be happy about. And again, stony-faced. And then she said all the tension of all the weeks of negotiation just overwhelmed her and she just started to cry. And at that point, all these powerful emissaries of these countries just got up and hugged her. And I think it was the, 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 the head of the negotiations for Saudi Arabia, I think, just turned and said, don't worry, we'll sort this out for you. We'll get this through. And, and it was such a powerful story because it was saying that even though there was all this power and all these dynamics and all this, all this politicking and all, this, all these people with their own particular views of how things should be, that one person showing their vulnerability, showing their open heart, showing their tears, was able to transform that situation and, and help create a change which was dramatically important in the world. So that, so it's just a reminder that even when there's posturing and power, that one event, one small event, one opening of the heart can make a difference. And, and we've seen that with the, with the refugee crisis where there was, I think a young child was found drowned at the, on the beach. And that one image just change people's perception so so it's like we all can come back to our humanity mm. but we have to almost have permission to do that mm. yeah and i think at this time what i would also encourage is finding communities to nourish each other also in this um, time of embrace of of difficulties having having someone that you can share your your feelings about what is coming up for you in this moment and having the sense of support for one another. Yeah. Or else we will drown in our own despair. We will drown in all of the information and violence that we are, we are seeing. So brother, one thing I want to ask you was about where are the limits of our compassion? And, and the reason I ask that is that there are some people who are saying that our collective response in Europe to what's happening in Ukraine and Russia is racist because that the people in Ukraine are European. They look like us, Mm. not you, brother, because you're Vietnamese, but talking Mm. myself, they look like me. Um, They're European and therefore I can see myself in them and therefore I feel connected. But there are wars going on all over the world which Mm. are causing immense amount of destruction on on a par with uh, Ukraine, in Syria, in Yemen, Afghanistan, Lebanon, all all over the world, we 
we have wars. And yet somehow we feel, it's easy to feel, not easy, but we, a lot of people feel disconnected from those people. And then refugees coming from Ukraine are welcomed, but refugees now from Iraq, even though they were welcome to begin with, are then not welcomed. I'm just wondering, because I, I've been thinking about this, and I, and so there's this sense of this is racist. And that may be so, but what it feels to me more is that we do connect very easily with things that reflect on ourselves. And we do find it difficult to have real compassion for events, people, things that are outside of our experience. And I know, I know in Buddhism, one of the practices, I'm not sure it's like metta or something, where, where you start off with um, meditating on someone. It's, I know it's in a different tradition, but someone you love, then someone you like, then someone you don't like, then your enemy, and then, then all the problems in the world. That, 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 that there is a sort of a way to go out to the furthest reaches of our compassion and, and bring that into our centre. But I'm just wondering if you have any sense of how how do we go beyond our discrimination of I see you, but I, and also I see myself as opposed to I see you, but I don't see myself. Yeah. First of all, I want to say when I also saw the racism that was happening within the people, the civilians that were trying to escape um, the war, I had so much anger. I had a lot of frustration and despair come up in me because I am Vietnamese, I'm yellow skinned. And if I was there, I would have probably been discriminated too. And I just saw that we have so much work to do as humanity. We have so much more cultivation of interbeing that needs to be taught, that needs to be shared, need to be educated towards um, the human race. And um, when, that, when that anger came up in me, I, I really had to practice and I, I did slow walking meditation because it really triggers something really deep inside of me. I think it, it, it comes from the suffering of my parents um, being discriminated in Canada when we first arrived, etc. And and just knowing that we are in 2022 and the war is happening and people are dying right next to you and people are all trying to look for a safe place and you still have space for racism, like that really hurt. And I, I feel that this hurt wasn't on an individual level. I'm sure there was many who was very disturbed by that reality and the compassion that comes in is to connect to the action that needs to be done. Um, the action of, in my work, would be to continue to share about mindfulness of love, mindfulness of, of interbeing, and that seeing that your suffering is not separated from my suffering and that your safety is not separated from my safety. Your peace is not separated from my peace. And to make that teaching into action, um, that can only be the nutrients that will keep my compassion alive. Or else if I, 
if I don't do that, then I think I will fall into um, despair. I will do. I will fall into hatred. Um, I will discriminate against the one that are discriminating. So this whole war is triggering so many sources of suffering, and it's what a time to come inwards. The way out is in. I also know that compassion has limits too. Compassion needs to be nourished. Um, we can be depleted of this, uh, this understanding and this energy, this source of of acceptance and this source of embracing. So, I remember one of the teachings that um, that was given to us is to still find the simple joy in daily life. And I think this was Thai's antidote in the war um, was still see the wonders of life, still have time to sing a song. And Thai wrote a lot of peace poems during that time is to channel in the miracle of life. You know, Thai's community would establish days of mindfulness, and this is. Where we have this tradition of Thursday and Sundays as day of mindfulness, because the social workers um, during that time, the Vietnam War, they needed a day where they don't talk about the war. They talk about their deepest aspiration. They talk about their dreams, and it's a way to balance the destruction and the suffering that is there. And so we who are living in a place where There are flowers that are blooming right now. We have a magnificent field of daffodils, wild daffodils. I have to allow myself to see that wonder and to be there for that wonder. And because if I have this insight that this is what I want to protect, I will. I would never allow war to happen. I will do everything in my power to prevent it. And so. I, I see that these actions is also what we need to do to maintain our well-being, maintain our balance, maintain our compassion. Compassion, if practiced, may be endless. Thai usually speak about compassion when you have real love, and compassion it is limitless, and and that can be a source of. Teaching a source of refuge, a source of inspiration, a source of hope for many people. Yeah, and I mean, one of Thai's teachings for me is that first we have to look after ourselves, because if we don't look after ourselves, how can we look after someone else? If if our bowl is empty, how do we give food to someone else? But if our bowl is overflowing, then the easiest thing is to give someone else and. And I know he he used the metaphor. I remember of um, of a garden, and he said, if 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 you have a garden with some trees and one of the trees has died, don't just yes feel the sadness of the garden of of the tree of the dead tree, but also recognize that there are all these other trees that are beautiful. And and I I I think it's such an important thing you're saying, brother, because actually, if we open up to all the suffering in the world. Of which there is so much, 
that we can see on the meta level and the micro level. So much suffering, so people struggling in so many different ways in the world. And if we only see that, then, as you say, all we see is hopelessness. Mm. And we have to see life's beauty mm. and appreciate good friends and good food and nature and all that in order to replenish ourselves. You know, it's, it's uh, if we don't have those, um, then actually, if we don't recognize them, then all is lost. Yeah. Brother, one thing I wanted to ask you or discuss with you uh, is about often people see being uh, sort of being at peace or, or nonviolence as, as weakness. Mm. And that um, the reason that people have power is if you're not standing up for yourself, if you're not fighting back, then you're seen to be as weak. And, you know, when I look at what's going on in Ukraine, there's part of me that says, well, you know, the, these the people in Ukraine are extraordinary. You know, they're, they're, they are fighting against sort of this these overwhelming odds. There's extraordinary courage. The people who are defending what they believe to be absolutely right and and bearing arms in order to do that. And then if they were nonviolent and all peace loving, they you know, Russia would just walk in and take over and take away everything that that was of value to them in their in their eyes. And and I'm a little bit stuck on this because mm. I, I I was trying to put myself in Ukraine, you know what, put myself in that position of would I bear arms or you know in a, if I was in a different person of a different age and I was there, um, not necessarily a different age, but just if I was born and raised in Ukraine and I would I bear arms and 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 I'm a bit sort of lost with that about what is what is strength because I recognise that in Nonviolence is enormous strength, but in certain situations, I imagine it could appear as weakness. So, anyway, help me out here because I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit lost with this one. Well, I'm not sure if I have an answer for that too. Um, but what I, if I was in Ukraine and I am a monk, I would still stay, but I would not take up arms because there are many ways of service. I would probably try to be in the, if there is a department of caring, of rescuing, of healing, of being there for the wounded, um, being there for, um, to rebuild what is being destroyed. So in a war, I think it is very easy to see one option is to fight. But in history and the closest history for me is Tai. He didn't pick up arms. He remained as a monk. He created a nonviolent movement. Um, it was it turned into a community of over ten thousand who chose not to take up arms, but to help rebuild villages, help relieve suffering, help carry wounded children. Um, sister Chang Kam, our eldest sister in our monastic order, she shared that um, she went to villages to help uh, um, take children that were wounded to bring them to the closest village in order for healing. And there was one exp uh, one moment when she carried a child, and when she arrived, the child died. But she said that even though the child died, I did everything in my power to offer. Mm. 
help and relief. And for me, that is what I want to contribute in this war. So the question for me is, there are many ways of contribution to the situation of the world, to the destruction, to the war. And it is choosing what to help because that will nourish your compassion, that will nourish your, your, your own moral, your own ethics that you want to be. And if you give in to the war and you take up arms, and I'm not saying that it is not, it's, it's a wrong thing to do. I, I, I can't judge that. I, I think there needs to be sh soldiers, there needs to be those who help to protect. But um, as an individual, I think I would take another route because there is another route and, and uh, the route of being the voice of peace, um, being the voice of, of healing and of care is also very needed. And do not underestimate compassion because it's not easy to have compassion. It's more easy to be angry. It's more easy to, to, do, to create hatred and to um, be violent because that is giving into the collective consciousness. At that time, maybe compassion is the most powerful thing. And I remember one time Tai say that compassion gives you a source of energy that gives you no fear. And sometimes that compassion can become your barrier, your protector. And Sister Chen come share with me, sometimes because of that mind, she had no fear of running under the bullets. And maybe because of that compassion, she, she calls it the energy of Avalokiteshvara that protected her from the bombs and the bullets. And it was the compassion that gave her the courage. If she had no compassion, she would have been afraid. You wouldn't have run under that open field that, that, the, that the fighting was, was happening. So this um, image that compassion is weak and it's just a flower. I think we need artists and we need um, movies, music to redecorate compassion, redecorate love, redecorate peace that it is an energy that is very powerful, that can lead us to a more healthy life, a more, um, it's probably the life that majority of us, we want. Yeah, and, and hatred like compassion lasts a long time. Mm. I, mean, I mean, we see the result of most modern conflicts are the result of historical hatred that is passed on from generation to generation. So, so what you were saying about even if you bear arms, can you bear arms without hatred? Mm -hmm. Because as soon as there's a collective hatred of another country, then actually that, you know, you can, you can destroy things so quickly and then it can take in a, a huge amount of time to, to regenerate those feelings. So, so, and, and that's true also, I, I imagine... I don't imagine, I know in my life, in all our lives, is that, and Ty talked a lot about in any movement, like the climate movement, he said there's nothing as bad as an angry activist. Because if you're an angry activist, all you're doing is, is maintaining the problem. Mm -hmm. Because actually what creates destruction in the first place is 
unconscious or conscious anger at the world. Mm. And if we're then angry back, then all we're doing is fuel, putting fuel on the fire and we're not actually creating a resolution. And I, and, you know, I think even like with Israelis and Palestinians, you know, that is old hatred and it gets passed on. If it gets passed on, it just goes deeper, deeper into the subconscious and it is accepted as a fact. So I think we all have a, um, I don't know if a duty is the right word, but a, a, we should all, can all make a commitment to be aware of our anger and dealing with it. And, and brother, you know, one, one thing I just want to come back to you, you mentioned about when you saw the, the racism in, in, in people of colour trying to get out of Ukraine and uh, suddenly this anger came up on you. It'd be lovely if you can just describe your process mm. of, because you said you, I went slow walking, but actually maybe come back to that because for a lot of us who might have a strong emotion that comes up, it's really helpful to actually say, oh, wow, that's great. Fap, who also gets angry? Yay, that's mm -hmm. good. That's good to know um, that, you know, you're not perfect, that, that you're just like everyone else. Emotions come up, but it's then how we deal with those emotions that is the difference between um, our level of awareness. So can you just talk us through that process? Actually, it'd be really interesting. Mm. Yes, when I, when I saw the news and um, I heard about um, the racism manifesting, the first, the first emotion was anger. It was very clear. I was so angry and I said, in my mind was like, why? Even in war, is there space for racism? When people are literally dying right next to you, how can you be so selfish in this moment and be discriminating each other because of the skin color that we have? or maybe by the clothes that we are wearing that represents a different belief. And so I recognized that rage that was coming up and I was with it. I saw how draining it was taking away from me. And I remembered this teaching that I said, when these emotions come up, they are like your little child or they're your little brother, your little sister that you need to hold his hand and guide it. So at that very moment, I couldn't sit still because the anger was too strong. <laughs> and I remember um, the practice of walking meditation. So soothing the anger with my action. And for me, that was walking. So I started to um, walk outside and I just said, anger, I know you are there take a left step with me, anger, I know you're there, take a right step with me. And as you start to be mindful of your anger, your anger is softened, it gets tender, because um, your anger is you. And what you have invited up is another energy, which is to embrace and transform that anger. And naturally, what comes up is, ah, it is just ignorance. People are not yet enlightened. They haven't understood that at this very moment, everyone is suffering. They are still very selfish. So I saw the humanity in that and I saw the ignorance, we would say. And I said, ah, how can we help this ignorant to dissolve? So that sparks an aspiration. So 
this practice is called we channel our anger. We channel our anger into the direction of growth and peace and healing, rather than channeling it into violence, into uh, destruction. And naturally, when I started to walk, what comes into mind is a kind of aspiration. It's like, wow, recognizing I still have this anger, <laughs> and I want to know how to ease the anger inside of me and care for it, and not be afraid of it. A lot of the times, maybe I am afraid of my anger because I'm afraid of what I may do. But now it's like I know you are there, and I can transform you. I can help invite other energies up. And in that particular moment um, of w slow walking, and it was a good thirty minute. And I positioned myself so that I didn't see other people. I, I didn't want any discussion. And particularly, just to be very honest, I didn't want to see my brothers who are white. Because that was um, a discriminative mind that I was also having. I wanted to. There was a side of me. It's like, what can I do to punish? And I recognize that because I am also inherited of discrimination inside of me, and deep down in my in my culture in my heritage, Vietnam was always at war with Western countries. And so there is a deep wound inside of me that there is a level of hatred also to people who have white skin, of of being a victim and of them being a perpetrator causing war and suffering. And in that moment, I want to transform that hate. I want to transform that wound, so that my continuation. Either it is my student, uh, lay student, or monastic student in the future, we we light up a new a new inheritance. We want to offer a new inheritance of not this pain, of not this discrimination, of not this racism that we felt. And so I know if I do that work now, and I can transform it, I can heal it to the best capacity that I can. I am doing something for the future of my descendants. So this walking meditation of embracing the anger, embracing the hatred, recognizing to even the racism in me, um, the discrimination present in me, and to soothe it, Tai say, give it a bath of mindfulness, of care, of understanding, so that it can be transformed. So that, for me, was what I was doing in that moment. Yeah, brother, thank you for that deep sharing. I'm sure that will help so many people. And um, you talk about there's the inferiority complex, the superiority complex though so the victim the perpetrator and then there's the savior complex so we all get stuck in roles and actually i think everything you say is about how do we go beyond our roles because if we don't the victim then becomes the perpetrator and then the victim does exactly what was done to them so um 
Thank you. I, th- I think that will be extremely helpful just to for people just to hear what you're going through and that your deep honesty is a is a great permission giver to other people to be honest about their feelings and then to delve into them. Um, brother, is there anything else that we want to say before we finish? I think there's um, um, there's a a chant that we would recite um, when we uh, invite the bells, and I, I think it's very appropriate for this very moment. So I just want to end with that note. May I be peaceful, light, and happy in body and in mind. May I be free and safe from accidents. May I be free from anger, unwholesome states of mind and worries. May I know how to look at myself with the eyes of understanding and love. May I be able to recognize and touch the seeds of joy and happiness in myself. May I not be caught in the state of indifference or be caught in the extremes of attachment or aversion. May you be peaceful, light, and happy in body and in mind. May you be free and safe from accidents. May you be free from anger, unwholesome states of mind and worries. May you know how to look at yourself with the eyes of understanding and love. May you not be caught in the state of indifference or be caught in the extremes. Brother, thank you. Dear listeners, um, we hope you have benefited from uh, this conversation. I know I certainly have. It's helped uh, calm my uh, thoughts and discriminations and suffering. So, brother, thank you for taking the time. And um, if you enjoyed this episode, then uh, just know that there are many more. And you can find uh, other episodes of The Way Out is In on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, other platforms that carry podcasts, and also on our own very own Plum Village app. And this podcast was brought to you by the generous donors of the Thich Han Foundation. If you would like to support future episodes of the podcast and the work of the international Plum Village community, please visit TNHF. Dot org slash donate. Thank you so much, and we hope to see you again in our next episode. And go in peace. Bye bye. Stay